Hi, this is Dr. Lat Mansour, Research Lead of Health via Modern Nutrition here on HVMN Podcast. In this episode, I interviewed Dr. Louisa Nicola, who is a neurophysiologist and a brain coach. She's also the CEO of Neuroathletics. In this episode, we talked about brain health and exercise. Now, we know the benefits of exercise and we know the importance of brain health. But what we do not know is the strong connection between exercise, muscles, and brain health. And that's exactly what we discussed in this episode and how to improve brain health and cognitive performance via exercise, sleep, and nutrition. So if you want to find out more, tune in and let's get to it. Hi, we have Dr. Louisa Nicola here today at HVMN Podcast. Welcome. Hi, I'm so excited to be here, Lat. We've, uh, we've gone way back, so I'm excited to be on the other end. Yes, I am really excited to pick your brain on um, brain health, no pun intended. Uh, yeah. so, so I'm really, um, you know, I'm sure our listeners will be very, very interested in hearing, um, you know, your area of expertise around brain health or on what can you do to optimize um, brain health as well as um, physical activity and performance. So before we, we go deep into the area of expertise that, that you are in, let's tell our listeners about you, a little bit about you, you know, share what you do, what's your background, what yeah. are you passionate about? So born and raised in Australia, uh, loved exercise from a young age. I was a swimmer. I then, um, I then started competing in triathlons and uh, went to the world championship series three times. I did Beijing, London, and Auckland. So fell in love with endurance sport. Uh, at the same time, I did an undergraduate degree in exercise science and teaching. Uh, so I finished, uh, I finished that. I moved on to a master's and it was a master's of mathematics and I majored in neuroscience. So I was looking at neuronal signaling and looking at algorithms behind that. Fell in love with the human brain. And I then went into medicine. I thought I'm going to dedicate my life to understanding the brain. And there was just there was just something so beautiful about it, and also mysterious. Dating back 10 years, we didn't have education like we have now on platforms that could inform us about the brain. So all I wanted to do was just go into the surgical room and and see the uh, see the surgeons cut into brains. It was quite. Uh, it was to me. It was just a a beautiful thing. So. That's what I did. I, I finished my career in triathlons, went into medicine, uh, specifically neurophysiology, which is a subset of neurology. You would go and see a neurophysiologist if you uh, maybe had epilepsy. You need to get an EEG scan or a nerve conduction study um, or a, a muscle biopsy, uh, anything like that. So I love that. And I moved to New York City and started my own company, Neuroathletics. So we are a, uh, I would call us an insurance policy for your brain. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Let's, let's uh, dive a little bit more into that. So what yeah. does neuroathletics do and, and how does one, you know, gain access to neuroathletics? So neuroathletics, uh, we really believe in having a democratized education platform for brain health. So we have a podcast where we talk about various brain health topics, how to have a better performing brain, because at the core of everything I believe in, I believe that the brain always comes first. Uh, if you can optimize your brain, then you can optimize every other area of your life. And I think people still don't understand that. You know, we see people going to the gym, working just on skills and on muscle and it's like but in order for your skills to take place the brain has to be performing well so uh, we do a lot of brain health education our core product is the NAC program so neuroathletics coaching certificate I think there's a really big gap in the market here Lat, and you can actually uh, tell you can chime in on this because I know yeah. you're a, a regular gym goer you go and see you can go and see a personal trainer at the gym and it, these days, it takes a personal trainer to be certified, what, two days? I believe the yeah. certification process is two days. I've seen it. I've really sifted through it. I did it when I was 19. Mm -hmm. And it really doesn't teach them anything that they are needing to understand. And the reason why I, I know this is because I sent my mother and my father to a personal trainer. Obviously, they don't really go into the gym. I gave them a 
personal trainer and this personal trainer had really no knowledge and it was surprising to me that they had a job. And I know mm -hmm. that sounds pretty fierce, but it was. So I saw this area in the market where I was like, well, I should be training these trainers on the art and science of neuroscience. So yeah. we go out now, we certify uh, trainers on neuroathletics. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's fascinating that after centuries of medical advancement, that there is still so, so much more that we haven't learned about the brain. And now yeah. more than ever, we are learning the connection between the body and the brain. Because most of the time people think about physical health, they think about, okay, I'm going to do endurance exercise, I'm going to do strength training, I'm going to improve my physique, and then I'm going to do something separate to my brain because it's mm. almost like a different process, different part of my body and different function. But today, Louisa is going to share with us what you know she has found in her research about the connection between the body and the brain and how vital it is for us to train our body but keeping our brain health in mind and how does that connection play uh, a role in our aging brain as well as maximizing our performance at work, our performance mm -hmm. in a, a race, our performance in you know, a, a competition, for example. Um, so yeah, let's, let's drive, mm. dive straight into it. How does having more muscle mass help with brain health? Let's start with that question. Okay, we can start with that question. I, I want to first, you know, preface this by saying that as we age, our brain ages too. And what does mm -hmm. that mean? That means that, so we've got, you know, the cerebral cortex, we've got the gray matter of our brain, then we've got white matter. And uh, white matter is where all of our myelinated neurons live. So as we age, we get thinning of our cerebral cortex. And therefore, we get the loss of cognitive functions. Cognitive functions such as thinking, information processing speed, focus, attention, memory, this all starts to decline. And this is just a natural aging process that we're all going to go through, unfortunately. And there's, um, I actually posted on Instagram an MRI image of a 90-year-old's brain, and you really see the cerebral cortex was very thin. So that happens. But something else also happens, and that is that we are now experiencing an acceleration in this brain aging process. And that is because of lifestyle factors. Lifestyle factors that I think uh, from the research that I've gathered that are the most important to preserving brain health and, and stopping that brain aging process mm -hmm. is sleep, nutrients, specific nutrients, and exercise. Mm -hmm. So we can start on exercise because you just mentioned having yep. more muscle mass. And instead of focusing on having more muscle mass, I would rather, I think that having more muscle mass is great in the area of mitochondrial health. Mm -hmm. So we know that uh, more, mitochondri more mitochondria, mitochondrial biogenesis is better for overall immunity. And um, we know that as we increase in muscles, in muscle cell size, we increase our mitochondria. But in, instead of looking at it like that, let's take a step back and look at, well, what does the literature say about strength training and exercise? So when the first studies were done between exercise and brain health, they were done on mice, obviously. Uh, we always start there. And what they found was that mice who were running on a treadmill or a wheel for six months, what they did was they increased the proliferation of cells within the hippocampus. Mm -hmm. So the hippocampus is a seahorse structure in our seahorse shaped structure, I should say, in our brain. And um, that's really, it's in the deep in the temporal lobes and it's really involved in things such as memory formation. And what they found was that these mice had more great, you know, greater capacity to grow new neurons in this area. And they thought, well, how is this happening? And that's when they found out that exercise, aerobic physical activity, which is generally you know, summed up as long rides, rowing, running, etc., increases the amount of circulated, circulating BDNF in the bloodstream. 
BDNF, brain-derived neurotropic factor, is a um, is just a it's a a growth factor for the brain. Mm-hmm. So they thought, wow, this is this is incredible. So they and that was literally after uh, six weeks. And in fact, what they did was they then replicated it in humans and they found the same thing. But what they also found was that the hippocampal volume grew by at least 12 to 16%. Wow, so that's, that's big. significant. That's significant. So then they thought, oh my gosh. So the 90s and the early 2000s were all about BDNF. People mm-hmm. were running around in the magazine articles of fit BDNF, it was this huge thing. Then at around, uh, I think it was around 2012, researchers were like, okay, well, we know this is happening now in humans and in mice. What's happening in when it comes to strength training? Mm -hmm. And when they started to do systematic reviews, they started to do more studies on clinical, like clinical meaning human studies and in rodents, they found out so many more things were happening. And we'll go through them. So one of the things that happens during bouts of strength training and strength Mm -hmm. training actually in this aspect means lifting weights is we get a rapid release of these certain myokines myokines are muscle derived or muscle based proteins so they get released from the muscle and then they go into the bloodstream and they happen at you know 300 times x than what you would have in uh, aerobic physical activity and in some instances these myokines and hormones aren't released during physical activity are uh, during aerobic exercise okay. so we'll start and, and um, as, as we yeah. know because myo you know is related to to muscles and Myosin, myokines yes. in this sense acts as a signaling molecule to then initiate any form of um, pathway or events that then drive a reaction in the body yeah, absolutely. I love that. I love how you're defining the terms and please um, keep coming in on this. Uh, but I've got my notes here because there's just there's I don't want to miss anything because there's some really interesting. Um, I've sent you a review, but there's some really interesting data around mm-hmm. um, these myokines. But let's talk about the first one, which I'm sure you can, um, you know, piggyback off me with this. IL-6, interleukin-6, it's part yeah. of the interleukin families. And we we see this being released in response to a, an immune response. And yes. sometimes it's a bad thing, correct? Yeah, it's an inflammatory okay. um, signaling molecule that yes. gets um, secreted when we have an inflammatory response. So, and I, I've spoken about this in a lot of podcasts that a lot of people think inflammation is bad, but inflammation is also a necessary mechanism which our body needs in order to battle against um, foreign invaders, bacteria, uh, stress, and all of that. It's a, a way for our body to tell the rest of our bodies or the cells that we are dealing with a certain threat and therefore we need to have a mechanism to overcome it. So inflammation in and of itself is not necessarily bad. However, chronic inflammation, when you turn it up all day, every day, that's when it becomes bad. So just a clarification out there. But IL-6, I know for a fact that in exercise, um, you increase it hundreds of times um, because yeah. of the stress that you're putting your, your body through as well as the um, progressive load that you're putting your, your muscles through. You, your muscles are tearing. You are telling your body, hey, you, know, you need to repair this. So that's, that's IL-6, interleukin-6. Interleukin-6 also, they found that instead of being a detrimental thing, because it does get released, you know, tenfold, it is also released from the muscle into the bloodstream, crosses the blood-brain barrier, and has an effect again on the hippocampal subregions in a positive way. Oh, wow. So, I didn't know yeah. that. And um, so that's a really important factor. Another important myokine that is released is irisin. It's also a hormone. So irisin comes from the Greek word iris. And iris uh-huh. was a messenger to the gods. And this was founded in 2012 as well. And this is also doing the exact same thing. It's acting as a messenger bo- molecule. It's actually, they've now coined this term, which is muscle brain crosstalk. So okay. what, So this also, once it's released from the muscles, 
has an effect on the expression of BDNF. So when it crosses the blood-brain barrier, it shoots right through to the hippocampus mm -hmm. and it helps with the expression of BDNF, okay. therefore helps with the proliferation of neurons in the hippocampus and the areas around the, camp the hippocampus. So okay, that's a beautiful thing. Let's, let's, let's recap here. Let's recap here. So what I am, I'm understanding is that when you exercise, you increase the secretion of IL-6, you increase mm -hmm. the secretion of irisin, and mm -hmm. that goes to your brain bypassing the blood-brain barrier, mm -hmm. giving signal to the hippocampus to release BDNF, which mm -hmm. in turn increase the proliferation of neurons within the mm -hmm. hippocampus, and therefore creating a... A, a bigger mass of, of neurons so that you can function better, you can have an improved performance in cognition. Is that, is that what I'm understanding? That, you've said it absolutely correct. Now, there's this thing called neurogenesis, the creation of new neurons, and that's what's happening, the proliferation. Now, you cannot, adult neurogenesis doesn't exist throughout the cerebral cortex. So it's not like you can mm -hmm. go out and say, wow, I can grow my brain. It doesn't work yeah. like that. If it did, we'd all be wait walking around with skulls just you know, expanding. So that's right. not what's happening exactly, but it does happen within the hippocampus, which is why exercise is the best and first prescription when it comes to individuals who have been either diagnosed with early onset Alzheimer's disease mm -hmm. or Alzheimer's disease. And lifestyle interventions with, for neurodegenerative diseases often involves exercise to some capacity. So, Great. yeah. So, so that's 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 very interesting area that you just got in because what I've understood is that you know, as an adult, we can't really grow neurons, like you said. You know, that's what mm -hmm. I, I've always understood. And then when this paper came out, it talks about neurogenesis and and you really growing neuron in in the hippocampus. So. In your, in your sort of expertise, what is the difference between like the hippocampus area versus you know, the rest of the brain that you can't grow new, new neurons? What, what's the physiology behind it? Um, you know, why can't we grow new neurons, but you can grow it in the hippocampus? I wish I knew. I've never even been asked that question. I wish I knew the answer to it. But look, my understanding would be the... Uh, look, we've got something called adult uh, neuroplasticity. Mm -hmm. And we know that when our neurons fire together, when they wire together, they fire together, which is mm -hmm. creating our internal habits. That's happening in the deep white matter regions of our brain, which is where the myelin, myelinated neurons live. My understanding is that these receptors, so we have receptors all over, all over our bodies, our liver, our heart, where these myokines go to and they attach. So these mm -hmm. myokines that I've mentioned also attach and have an effect on endocrine organs as well. Yeah. I'm only talking about the effects that it has on the brain. Uh, whether the, the mechanism of pathway is affected, so you know the reason why it just goes through, to the, through the blood-brain barrier and goes into the hippocampus, maybe it's got to do with the receptors within mm -hmm. the hippocampus, yeah. and there is just no receptors or pathway that goes to the prefrontal cortex to activate that, but I Fair may enough. be completely wrong with that. But I'm going to actually get, uh, that's what I'm going to, as soon as we get off here, I'm going to start like looking into that. Amazing. Yeah. Um, and, and, and also listeners, um, do you know that apart from, you know, neurons and uh, the number of neurons we have, as we age, we also lose brain network stability, which means, you know, we have different regions in the brain. And as we age, the connection, the interaction between these regions also decrease and that's that's term you know brain network stability so they have seen this via functional mri where an aging adult especially if you're at a high risk of developing cognitive impairments such as alzheimer's or dementia you get a decreased stability between these brain networks um, and there are a couple of things that have shown to improve uh, brain network stability one of them is um, the availability of ketones ketogenic diet or exogenous ketones and we can go go into to that when we talk about nutrition because I remember you talked about the three pillars that contribute to brain, brain health. One was exercise, the other one was nutrition, and the third one was sleep. So let's wrap things up around uh, exercise and then yeah. we can go, go, go on. I just want to point in on that. I think um, with the decline in the network, also um, 
there was a study that was that came out at the beginning of the year which showed what you just said and they think the link may be because as we get older so your brain like through neuroplasticity you've got different regions in the brain and they all need to be exercised when we're young okay think of a kid the kid is they're at school, they're running, they're jumping, then they're seeing this and they're seeing art, then they're going to soccer, then they're doing so much. So the brain is just firing at all different angles. So it's growing. And yeah. then what happens as we age is you get a bit tired, you get a bit, you just want to stay home and your, your brain is not able to see, it's not able to play tennis, to socially interact with other people. Therefore, those regions that are responsible for the social interaction per se, or tennis or, or painting, they start to die off. And I think that may be a reason for that, for the, um, so then there's no pathway for the brain to keep going down. So um, let's move on. The only other thing I'm going to point out with um, Maya Kynes that I think is extremely important is cathepsin B. So have you heard of cathepsin B? No, I have not. Tell us it's more also, about what cathepsin B is. So it's also a myokine that is released from skeletal muscle. And when it's released, it does the same thing as irisin. It crosses the blood-brain barrier, goes into the hippocampus, increases the proliferation of BDNF. So when it does this, it has, um, it has an effect on our cognitive functions. So to sum that uh, exercise portion up, we know that exercise, when done in a proper fashion what they found is that you need to do three times a week at 70 percent of your one repetition max so you can't just go out there with small weights you need to do heavy weights and it's a gradual gradual so you got if you get you know over two weeks if you're lifting the same weights you need to then up it and you need to keep going up progressive so load progressive load that is what we call it so you need to be doing that you also need to be doing zone two cardio to get the full brain benefits of um, everything i just mentioned yeah, great. While we're on exercise, actually, good thing that you mentioned, you know, sort of cardio. What sort of role does, uh, you know, cardiovascular um, exercise or aerobic exercise versus strength training? We, we talked a lot about strength training, about, you know, you need to lift heavy, you need to have that stimulus so that your muscles can get that stimulus and then release those signaling molecules. What about the role of, of aerobic exercise here? Like, and how much should one do weight training versus aerobic in order to maximize brain health? So from what I can see, the studies really lie in doing a low intensity cardio at a zone two pace. So zone two is generally looking at around 65% of your max HR. It's actually measured um, from lactate. So on, uh, at around two millimoles, um, but we won't go into that. But it is looking at at least three hours a week of zone two cardio. And the why, I believe, lies in the fact that you are training, that is the perfect place for you to train the mitochondria of the cell. And what we don't see a lot of when we hear podcasts like this is people talking about the role that mitochondria plays in the brain. Mm -hmm. So we have enormous mitochondria, especially in the frontal lobe. And the latest studies that are coming out for Alzheimer's disease shows that it could be an astrocytic response, meaning that it could be the lack of mitochondrial efficiency in the frontal lobe. So the frontal lobe houses our prefrontal cortex yep. and that's our decision-making processing speed it's the ceo of the brain so if we are not training our mitochondria and getting the mitochondrial biogenesis we've got mitochondria all throughout our central nervous system as well so that would have an effect um, on that aspect so just a brief explanation so mitochondria as we all know is a powerhouse of the cell it is the organelle it is the component within the cell that creates energy it generates atp which is a currency for energy within our cells. So when we work out, like what, what Luisa said earlier, when we do strength training, you are telling your muscles that you need more energy, you need more power to lift this heavy weight. And therefore that encourages my, uh, mitochondrial biogenesis, which increases the um, 
production of mitochondria because your body is telling your muscles that you need more powerhouses in order to meet the demand of energy and that is why it is so important and as for why the nervous system and the brain has so much so many mitochondria in 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 these organs is because on a daily basis, especially the brain, we are working 24-7. The brain does not stop working, even when we're sleeping, right? So we need that large amount of energy being channeled into um, these, these different regions so that we can function the way we do. Yeah, that's absolutely correct. And like I said, we have to now think about this as mitochondria within the brain as well, because we always hear about mitochondria in the body. So I'm happy that we uh, pointed that out. Yeah, absolutely. And so, so you said at least three hours of zone two um, cardio. Cardio, yeah. And then in terms and of... that has to be, to actually get into that effect that we spoke about, that has to be a minimum of 50 minutes per session. So it can't just be three hours a week broken up into half-hour sessions. You actually have to stay on a bike, a stationary bike, for a minimum of, um, yeah, of 45 to 50 minutes. 45 to 50 minutes. And then in terms of strength training, uh, what would you recommend? Three days a week, if you can. Okay. More, look, the more that you do, the more robust the effects are going to be of these hormones that are going to get released. So, but yeah. you want to caution it with, uh, you know, Injury, having recovery. Risks yeah. and all that. Yeah, and recovery. And, and remember, guys, it's, it's progressive load. So once your body is used to it, um, you need to either switch it up, you know, different exercise, different sort of range of motion, focusing on the eccentric or increase the weight. So there are many ways to, you know, confuse your body or, you know, add new stimulus. It doesn't necessarily have to be just increase the weight and, and increasing the risk of, of injury. Make sure you get your form right. Make sure, you know, you are doing, you're recovering well as well. So I think all those um, aspects play into the role of this. Mm. Um, what do you think of the role of, HIT, high intensity interval training in all of this? No, look, HIT is fine. So, HIT more so a lot uh, is correlated with all cause mortality. And the reason I say that is because there has been um, numerous studies done to link higher VO2 max with all cause mortality. And higher VO2 max comes from increasing your fitness, therefore, doing HIT, uh, getting your heart rate up, can really help with that process. When it comes to brain aging, really, you really ha only have to stick to zone two strength mm -hmm. and maybe include only have to really do 15 minutes a week of getting your heart rate up to that real maximum standpoint. You really don't have to do anything more than that. And I'm talking about someone who's not out there trying to be a CrossFit champion. This is literally just just for the brain aging process. That's where we're going wrong in exercise. This is why a lot of women are afraid to exercise because they think that just going for a walk is not really doing anything. Well, it, it maybe fast-paced walking is doing something, but slow intensity exercise is going to do something. You don't have to go and kill yourself five days a week. Right, right, right. Yeah, that's the thing. I think a lot of people are paralyzed by what well, paralysis via analysis. They, they analyze it so much. They, they sort of think about it so much. They, they end up not doing it at all. Yeah. Um, I think doing some form of exercise, even brisk walk, is better than none. Um, and, you know, for people who may want to lose some body fat and retain some, some you know, muscle mass, HIT is also a good choice in that sense, you know, to, to make sure that your muscle mass is retained. And as you do progressive load and growing those muscles and increasing those myokines um, uh, secretion, to affect your brain, that could be a good option, mix and match as well. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, let's move on to the next uh, pillar that you, you mentioned, nutrition. Mm. So what are your thoughts around nutrition and brain health? What sort of food people should, should pay attention to? What sort of food people should avoid? Is there a specific um, feeding window, feeding style, lifestyle? Um, tell us more. I do. Look, uh, I do really advocate for fasting and you you know you and i have spoke about uh fasting and getting into the ketogenic state um, obviously increasing the ketones which are available as the fuel source for your brain i love that i also provide a lot of emphasis to my clients on ingesting 
omega-3 fatty acids. So omega-3 fatty acids from fatty fish, for example, is made up of three parts, EPA, DHA, and ALA. ALA is um, a form of omega-3 fatty acids, but it comes from plants. It's a plant source uh, form of omega-3. Things such as flax seeds and chia seeds, Mm -hmm. they contain ALA. But I'm Mm -hmm. more interested in EPA and DHA. And EPA and DHA have been found to be absolutely unbelievable for the brain and for the body as well. They help with cell membrane fluidity. Uh, What I'm really really interested in is how do we get this EPA DHA to the brain and it turns out that DHA a liposomal DHA can go through and cross the blood-brain barrier and it has an effect on the brain in there Um, there was a there was a wonderful uh, study done this year I this year maybe last year and it was maybe an NIH study and they came out with risk factors for death and we know them Okay, they just re- reassess them each year. They've gone from like nine to 10. I think there's around 17 now risk factors for premature death and all cause mortality. Cardiovascular health is one, etc. Smoking is one. They now found that having a low omega 3 index is now also a risk factor for all cause mortality. Wow. That's got to so, be pretty, so let's- like insane, right? Yeah, absolutely. So, so let's talk about the basics here. What are the roles of, you know, these omega three fatty acids in the brain? You know, is it is it used for energy or is it used for uh, structural composition? Is it used for signaling? W- what is it being used for? So, one of the biggest things that it's used for, and this happens actually throughout the brain and body, is it acts as a really good down regulator of inflammation. We're getting mm-hmm. inflammation, which you know, I know that you, you mentioned earlier, a little inflammation is good, but have you ever felt that moment? People ask this a lot. Louisa, I've woken up with brain fog or uh, my mm-hmm. thinking is not clear and I'm just having a decline in my performance. More often than not, what we're doing is we're creating a lot of neural inflammation. That is the mm-hmm. inflammation of the central nervous system, brain and spinal cord. And Omega-3 fatty acids, EPA and DHA, can go in and actually down-regulate these inflammatory responses. So I think that's really a key thing to pick up on. The second thing mm-hmm. is the cell membrane fluidity. We want to be yep. able to have, if you sell, you know, what have we got in the human body? Three, 30 trillion cells? Three trillion? Yeah. So they all need to be, imagine a... Um, Imagine all these tiny little uh, sticky balls just, you know, floating around. If they're not fluid, it's going to really stop the, uh, I don't know how to explain the opposite of fluidity, but having a high, there you go, rigidity, they're going to be more rigid um, and make it harder to get to their destinations. But uh, omega-3 fatty acids help with the fluidity of these uh, cell membranes, the outer layer of the cell, so they can flow through evenly. So, so they, so to recap, they help with sort of almost like a signaling molecule to help lower the inflammation um, process, and then the second is structural um, uh, benefit to the cells and making sure the fluidi- fluidity and and really assist the flux of different molecules, different substrates going in and out of the cell. Because yes, yeah, I, yeah. Go ahead if you have anything. No, I was going to say add. a third one. So you just you can. Keep talking. Oh, I was I was going to say, uh, you know, we at HVMN, since we we have our product, which is Ketone IQ, it's an exogenous ketones. And, and the way we explain what ketones are, you know, you produce your own ketones when you're low on carb reserve. But more importantly, why does our body produce ketones is because um, our brain work primarily, you know, use primarily sugar or glucose for energy. But when you're low on carb resources like glycogen and glucose, your brain still needs that energy, but fats cannot bypass the brain, uh, blood brain barrier and therefore cannot provide the energies directly to the brain. So it needs to be converted to ketone, which is a smaller molecule that can bypass the blood brain barrier in order to provide energy for the brain. And then the question comes um, where people ask, so what about, you know, omega-3 fatty acids? And, and, you know, these are fatty acids and people are like, we know that omega-3 fatty acids is good for the brain. So they can go through. 
So then what I found out is that, yes, they are good for the brain, but as you said, it, it works as a, a signaling molecule, it works as a structural, you know, it helps with the neurons, um, uh, the cells and the, the structure building. It's like creating the, the um, fluidity and all that, but it does not directly provide energy mm. to, these, um, to the mitochondria. Before I move, that's, that was a really great point. Before I move on to my third one, my question for you, is, which is what I get asked often, is, well, what's the difference between an ester, a ketone mm -hmm. ester, and a salt? So the difference between ketone ester and a salt, so the, the main three ketone bodies that are produced in our bodies are uh, beta-hydroxybutyrate, acetoacetate, and acetone. And yes. the one of those three is primarily used for energy, which is beta-hydroxybutyrate, which is what we measure when we prick our finger and our blood ketone levels. When people talk about blood ketone levels, more often than not, they're talking about beta-hydroxybutyrate. Now, mm -hmm. ketone salt is when these um, sellers, the suppliers, use a BHB bound to a salt, either magnesium, potassium, sodium, and that way, because beta-hydroxybutyrate in and of itself is acidic. So if you just consume a lot of BHB, you're just consuming a lot of acid and that causes a lot of GI issues. But if you neutralize it by binding them to salt, you sort of, you know, um, reduce that sort of GI issue. But then you are stuck with um, increased salt load. Uh, in some sense, in, in, in some sense, it may be good if you're you know, working out, you're losing salt and you want to replenish, that's fine. But also because of that limitation, you can't get your blood BHB level high enough to get a significant benefit. Now, ketone ester, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. ketone ester is BHB bound to butane diol. Mm -hmm. That's a ketone monoester, whereas the most sort of ubiquitous ketone ester out there. So instead of salt, it's just bound to butane diol. Now, butane diol enters the liver and it gets converted to BHB. So if you think about it, it's more of a two-step um, BHB delivery system to the body because you have a BHB bound to butane diol, it enters the gut, it gets cleaved by your esterase, so it releases the BHB straight into the blood and then the butane diol goes into the liver and acts as a slow-release um, BHB that, that sustain your ketosis. Okay, the reason I ask that is because butyrate, uh, beta-hydroxybutyrate, is the also a molecule that is released during intense exercise as well and has an effect yes, on the brain. Yes, so, so you know, yeah. most people think, how do I increase blood BHB? How do I be in ketosis? A lot of people know that you can get it through keto diet where you have um, extreme carb restriction. Um, you can get it via intermittent fasting where you you fast and you really deplete your glycogen stores and therefore your body starts breaking down the fat into uh, ketones. But what people don't realize is that when you exercise, you're also telling your body you need that sort of energy and therefore it's also breaking down and increased BHB levels. There you go. Okay. The, um, the third thing I wanted to point out with omega-3 is yeah. we now know that with high doses of omega-3, specifically, I'm talking about two grams of EPA and two grams of DHA. So that's four grams in total per day can actually go in and clear out some of the toxins and debris that build up due to brain aging and due to environmental factors and stress. One of them is the clearance of uh, amyloid beta which is a hallmark of Alzheimer's disease. So DHA can go through and clear out the amyloid beta that uh, could potentially clog up and, and form these plaques and tangles. So wow. that's the third one, yeah. I know they have done a couple of studies um, looking at using EH, um, EHA and, and like all these different APA and DHA in, in combating Alzheimer's and cognitive impairment. Um, do you know if there are any, any studies that are out that has significant results showing you know, a, a really stark correlation between those two? Yes, I put it up on my Instagram. I can't pull it up right now, but I put it up as a reel, um, and this was only like a week ago. So, um, yeah, I can send it over to you or people can go over and uh, look at that. Yeah, and, and while we're at it, um, you know, how can people find you on, on your Instagram? 
yeah, just go to Louisa Nicola. I'm quite active. I do 30 to 60 second tutorials on how to perform better. Um, I have a podcast, The Neuro Experience, on all major platforms, which the lads over at uh, Ketone IQ and HVMN have been on it. Um, and you can find me on Twitter, Louisa nice. Nicola. Yeah. Nice. And I will also include all of that in our description as well. So I just want to have a little plug in so that people know where to find you and find all these information. So Louisa always, you know, pumps out a lot of educational content, guys. Um, so go ahead and follow, follow her. Um, I follow her myself. And sometimes I'm like, oh, wow, like as a fellow scientist, I'm like, I, I didn't know this, this actually works, you know, like, for example, this myokines and hippocampus and neuro, neurogenesis um, correlation. I didn't know that before. Um, so this is really good to know because people say, you know, I, I go work out and then after a workout, I feel so much better. I feel more focused. You know, obviously focus comes from, you know, the, the brain cognitive performance and there has to be some connection. So now we know. Now we, we know do. mechanistically what is driving that benefit when you exercise. It's not mm. just for looking good. I always tell people our bodies are not programmed to prioritize aesthetics. Our bodies are prioritizing survivability. So when we work out, we are manipulating that sort of um, stimulus response to make sure that we get the um, desired body, but also getting all the benefit that comes with it. So, Absolutely. you know, yeah. Yeah, um, that's it. In, in terms of um, aging, let's talk about aging for yeah. a bit, right? Because yeah. we know as we age, we also lose muscle called sarcopenia. Mm. Right? And as we know how important, now that we know how important muscles are in brain health, as our brain is aging and we're losing muscle, what is the best way to combat all those? Well, it obviously is with, um, with proper nutrients, nutrition, with proper exercise, but it also comes with proper sleep. And that's, um, that's another factor that ties into this whole brain aging process because mm -hmm. wonderful things happen during sleep. We've got four stages of sleep primarily. We've got stage one, two, three, and then the fourth stage. So stage one and two is your light sleep. Stage three is what we call slow wave sleep or deep sleep. So, and then we've got REM sleep, which is stage four. And these two, stage three and four, are the most critical uh, stages of sleep. And stage three, uh, deep sleep. So two specific things happen during deep sleep is the first thing that happens is we get the release of uh, certain hormones, just like mm -hmm. in exercise, and, but these get released during sleep. Uh, things such as testosterone for men, estrogen for women, and IGF-1. And IGF-1 plays a, a critical role in muscle replenishment and muscle synthesis. So we want to be able to recover using IGF-1 and this gets released during deep sleep. And what happens is as we age, we actually have a decline in IGF-1. So exercising increases the production and secretion of IGF-1 from se several different areas, one being the muscle, um, but it also gets released during deep sleep. And it's like this, you know, circle effect, right? You, as we age, we kind of sleep a bit less and less, but if we sleep less and less, we don't get that uh, release of IGF-1. And so and we need to be one able- stands for insulin-like insulin growth factor. Insulin growth-like factor, yes, one. And so we really need this. And we, so therefore we need to practice good sleep hygiene. So we need mm -hmm. to practice how can we get into deep sleep? The second thing that happens during deep sleep is we activate a system called the glymphatic system. And the glymphatic system is like a sewerage system. It happens in your brain. And all, what happens is all of our neurons, they decrease in size. And they do this so that the cerebral spinal fluid can circulate through the brain and mm -hmm wash out all of the debris and that washes out all of the toxins as well. One of them is amyloid beta, the hallmark to Alzheimer's disease. So that's what's happening there. So if we, so it's, it, it all plays in, right? If we want to increase muscle mass or we want to mm -hmm. just preserve muscle mass, we have to be sleeping well. We have to be exercising. Um, BDNF is also released in the resting state from the muscles just to preserve muscle mass. Okay. We also, um, during REM sleep, REM sleep is a really critical component of sleep. And 
it ties into the aging process as well, which I won't go into it, but I will say that during REM sleep, that's where we get all of our emotional first aid and that's where we get all of our um, memory formations from the day. They get into our brain and that's how we say, you know, long-term memories. Vivid dreams also occur during REM sleep. So we really need to be working on sleep hygiene and working on looking at our life and thinking what is kicking me out of deep sleep what's kicking me out of REM sleep light exposure alcohol um, stress these things kick you out of REM sleep so we need to make sure that we are staying on top of those for a better sleep performance yeah and, and also to add on to that it's for you guys who are active and, and exercising when we talk about recovery we always talk about sleep but this is exactly what happens biochemically in your body when you sleep. All these mm. different hormones are being released at specific time at night and when you're at rest so that it helps you repair your body um, and also retain the muscles and retain all the positivity that, gets, that you get from exercise. And at the same time, cleaning all the debris, all the toxicity um, that you've been accumulated um, throughout the day. So that's mm -hmm. how important sleep is. It's not just us relaxing our body, you know, as that. It's, it's your body is at work, um, even though you are, you know, fully asleep. Yeah, absolutely. So there are your three uh, key pillars to ultimate brain health. That's how we say um, you can create a neuroathletic brain. Neuroathletic yeah. brain. Sleep, yeah. sleep fitness, nutrients, and um, exercise. And so in terms of sleep, um, also another, another point, another good point, because you mentioned, you know, we have to keep track of what kicks us out of REM, what mm. really disrupt our sleep cycle. And the way that we can do that, obviously via observation, but with technology nowadays, there are so many devices out there that allows you to oh. really measure your sleep quality, that really measure your, your REM period and really makes you sort of aware of how good is your sleep quality really. And if it's not that good, you need to go in there and really look at different factors that are driving, um, driving the quality down. So I think mm. that in and of itself is a, a blessing, you know, with, with technology, um, we're able to do that now instead of saying, oh, I wake up and I feel really tired. I don't know why. Mm. Um, whereas now you sort of oh okay my recovery score is it's a bit low you know what have I eaten last night what have I drank last night that's causing that uh, is the temperature well regulated um, is my bed comfortable enough you know as simple as that but it's also you know what I find is that we've got the other end of the extreme where people are looking at their devices uh, like their aura ring or whoop strap and they're basing their whole day on that instead of just being a human as well so I think that yes um, while trackers are amazing uh, it also comes with a lot of stress so use it at your will use it just to be tracking your overall um performance and if it you know one day it's just not well then don't uh, don't kill yourself over it yeah yeah it's a working progress and it's a lifestyle what i tell people is a journey and it's a lifestyle enjoy the journey mm. and celebrate those accomplish accomplishments yeah because you know you you can kill yourself and and just like sprint towards the goal but then then what you know there's a whole life ahead of you so therefore it's important to remind yourself that enjoy the journey along the way and then once you reach each small goal celebrate it because that's our lives right mm. like we want to strive for better health better n nutrition and better you know better sleep yeah i love that so one last question for you before we go is uh this is something that i've started so since um from now on i've been i'm gonna be the main host of hvmn podcast i'm gonna start asking all my guests this last question to close off is what does health and modern nutrition mean to you wow um so i i don't know if this is a different take than what everybody has i think um modern nutrition really means understanding who you are 
at a cellular level. We now have access to a vi wide variety of resources that can help us enhance our performance and enhance our health. However, it's not a one-size-fits-all. So understanding what is good for you, what levels you're at in terms of get getting a blood test, assessing your vitamin D levels, for example, and optimizing from there because that's when you will get healthy and that's doing it through a modern approach rather than a one-size-fits-all approach. Yes, personalized nutrition. Yeah. It's always the way to go. And I, I, I just recently gave a presentation at the Obesity Help National Conference. And I told people that ultimately everyone, you guys are the PhDs of your body. Mm. Nobody will know your body better than yourself. So listen to your body and try different things, trial and error, and see what works best for your body. Absolutely. Let, thank you so and much. And for those... Who, oh, sorry. Yeah. No, I was going to say thank you so much um, for this I was amazing say conversation. For those, for those out there who are into um, personal training and interested in neuroathletics mm. uh, certification, where can they um, look out for it? What, where, where can they find more information about well, it? Well, we're so excited because we're about to release our very first uh, big one in person. And I'm not going to reveal the city. But uh, we're going to close it off to 50 trainers. Uh, last time we had uh, over 100. So if you just go to the NeuroAthletics website, neuroathletics.com.au, you will find all the information. But I'm sure if you follow me, you'll see me uh, just posting a ton, a ton about it. So amazing, amazing. I know, I know you've you sort of said it earlier, but we should you know recap it mm -hmm. now. That's the end. Um, on your contact info and on your platforms and then we'll close it from there. Yeah, so you can follow me um, on Instagram. I'm quite active, Louisa Nicola. You can follow the podcast, which is the Neuro Experience. It's on um, all major platforms. We also write a weekly newsletter. So it's um, neuroathletics.substack.com and you'll find all of our um, scientific literature and uh, tips there. Amazing. Um, it has been such an educational and informative session, uh, Louisa. And thank you so much for coming on to HVMN Podcast. And thank you so much for being my first guest yes. after being the official main host <laughs> of Health Via Modern Nutrition Podcast. And um, we look forward to having more conversation as more data around brain health, exercise and performance comes out. I hope you have enjoyed this episode. And if you did, please like, share and subscribe. And if you have any feedback or suggestions, please leave it in the comments. HVMN Podcast and myself are powered by Ketone IQ, the most effective way to raise your blood ketone levels for optimal cognitive and physical performance, as well as metabolic health. Thank you for listening. Until next time.